You want to sing? Yeah? Yep. Okay, say good morning on the count of three, right? Who is it? Hey, all right. Say good morning on the count of three. Here we go. Everybody look at me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Here we go. One, two, three. Good morning. Good job. Philippians 4.13, KJV. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. to welcome everybody to Sunday School this morning. Like I said, it's good to be here. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been here. We've been to you know, Lee's church for him, and last week with the Cooper's church, and both times we've had great services, but I was telling Eric yesterday, I'm excited to be home. Um, and I'm thankful to be here. Um, thankful to hear the kids sing this morning, and um, I like that song that Barry sang, the very best me is the one who lives for God. You know, there's many times in the world that I've 
not followed God, I hate to say that, but uh, I'm thankful that when I followed God, he's always come through and blessed me and given me the best life I can live. So I'm just looking forward to the day and looking forward to hopefully someone coming to get saved. Uh, Wes Chase dismisses Sunday school. Good job, Barry. Good to be here. Appreciate everybody for coming out and uh, looking forward to the lesson. We're going to be in First Peter this morning. We're going to be in the second chapter is where the lesson is. I'm going to probably back up and read a little bit in the first chapter and just want to talk about uh, Peter some and kind of set the stage for what he's writing and who he's writing to and what's going on. <clears throat> it helps me so much when I'm studying to understand who is writing and who are they writing it to and kind of what's the, what time frame is it and, uh, maybe politically or in the world socially what's going on. So some pretty interesting things happening. It's really, as I was reading this and so often happens, I read some of this and I, think, well, boy, that's, that's a little bit different, but not a whole lot different from some of the things we're experiencing right now. And uh, I think, uh, if time stands, I think it won't be very long. We'll probably be experiencing right here in America almost everything that they were experiencing uh, in the Roman Empire. Uh, this is, Peter was writing to the, the people in the churches in Asia Minor, which is essentially the area today that we would refer to as Greece and Turkey. Uh, it's not the entire area that's the country of Greece and Turkey, but that's that would pretty well encompass where he's, he's writing to. Um, and we don't have to look very far outside of America 
And we can see Christians being persecuted in, in countries, and they're persecuted here in America, uh, but we do have freedom, thankfully, uh, that a lot of the world doesn't have. There's a lot of places in the world, if you proclaim I'm a Christian, there's a bounty uh, on you. And uh, other, uh, you know, other religions and, and just, you know, other, you know, people that aren't Christians, uh, they're looking to try to kill you or persecute you or make it as rough on you as they can. And so we need to pray for uh, our fellow Christians throughout the world because there's a lot of them that are persecuted. So, so that sets the stage a little bit. So let's talk about Peter. Uh, Peter, who wrote this book, is Peter the Apostle. All right, so let's make that clear. That's who we're talking about. So I want to go through some of the things that he experienced. And I'm not going to go read all the scriptures. I just made a little a list here of the things that when I think about Peter, things I think about, probably some of the things you think about, it's not exhaustive, so don't come up to me and say, well, you missed this or that. Well, I probably did. I'm not trying to, didn't want it to be an exhaustive list, just kind of a reminder of the things and who Peter is, okay? So Peter was a fisherman. That was his job. It's pretty interesting to me. I don't know how many of the apostles that, that Jesus called initially, but I think there were at least four, and there may be more than that, that their job before they became an apostle, they were fishermen. Fishing is a hard occupation, okay? When I say fishing, I think about going out to the pond or the edge of a, a river or maybe getting on a boat and going out on Lake Erie, having a pop, you know, casting out, reeling in, hopefully catching a few fish. That's not the kind of fishing that this was, obviously. This was small boat nets that tore and got damaged pretty easily and casting out. And we know from when when Peter was first called by Christ, that he and his brother had fished all night and had caught nothing. Yet Christ says to him, go out and cast out again. And Peter even says, paraphrasing, well, we fished all night, we haven't got a thing. But since you ask us to, we'll, we'll, we'll cast it out one more time. They cast out one more time. Isn't that a lot like being a Christian, trying to win people to Christ. You might ask 10 people, well, hey, we're having church. Why don't you come and go to church with me? And 10 in a row may say, may say a variety of things from, well, think about it. Some of them may even say, yeah. Some of them probably say, nope, I don't think I will. And maybe all 10 of them don't show up. And then Christ puts it on your heart the next week to say, why don't you go talk to somebody this person over here and invite them to church. A lot like where Peter's at here. So I think in Peter and in the other fishermen, I think Christ was looking for people that were willing to work hard and didn't, or if they did get discouraged, were willing to push through it and go on and follow him again the next time. He's looking for some stubborn-headed people, all right? Who all fits that category? <laughs> All right, I saw some hands back there. <laughs> All right. He's looking for people that, you know, even when we are discouraged, when he puts something on our heart, we're willing to go do it. So anyway, he calls Peter. So Christ calls Peter to be a fisherman, and that was kind of the story there. Some of the other things that, that happened while Christ was here, Peter walked with Christ. He spent a lot of time with him, walking with him, walking from town to town, seeing his miracles. Man, what a blessing that was, right? 
Peter did one thing that I don't read to be anybody else other than Christ in the Bible doing. He walked on the water. Think about that. Now, it's easy to focus on the part where Peter took his eyes off Christ and started to sink. All right? Easy to focus on that. But he walked on the water. Man, that's, I mean, to me, that's son of a gun. He walked on the water. You know, Peter was in the group. It was Peter, John, and James that Christ took up on Mount of Transfiguration and revealed his glory to them. Wow. I mean, think about that. Walking along and the Lord says, hey, fellas, let's go for a hike. And in a few minutes, you're up there and you're seeing Christ reveal his glory and hearing God speak. Again, wow moment. Peter was willing to fight for Christ. Now, he moved in the flesh, all right, but he was willing to fight. He had a sword, and when they came to take Christ, he's willing to, let's go get it, boys, uh-uh, all right? So he was willing to fight. Peter denied Christ. I think he carried that with him the rest of his life. I think when Peter, when people would talk about Peter, I think they would say, that's, that's the fellow that walked with Christ. Oh, remember the story? He's the one that denied him. When they were trying to figure out who all was walking with Christ, he denied him. I don't know that I've ever, from my mouth, said, I don't know the man, but my actions have certainly said in my lifetime, if people looked at me, they might say, who is that guy? Is that that guy that goes to church over there at Lima Missionary Baptist? Well, he sure don't act like the same guy we, we saw over at church a while back, does he? So Peter denied Christ. Peter went back to fishing. Things got rough. Peter looked around and told several of the, the other disciples that were fishermen. He said, I'm going back to being a fisherman. I quit. Now, that isn't... If you read the lay, if you read the scripture, he said, "I go fishing." But if you look at the the way the, what that really means, it didn't just mean I'm going fishing today. It meant I'm going back to being a fisherman. Okay. Took three or four with him. If we don't walk where we're supposed to, we're going to take people with us. Okay. Peter did. Peter was a leader. These these successes and these failures make no mistake. Peter was certainly a leader amongst the disciples and amongst the, the early church, okay? He made some mistakes. He stubbed his toe really bad. But son of a gun, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he walked on the water and he walked with Christ and saw some great miracles. He preached on the day of Pentecost. That was about three or four months after he had denied Christ. I, I want to tell you something. If I was in that spot and that and I got called on, I don't know if I could have done that. Three or four months after I had publicly and repeatedly denied that I even knew the man, and he gets called on to preach on the day of Pentecost. And he preached Christ and him crucified and risen and over 3,000 people. You think about that. I mean, man, what a roller coaster. It's like a yo-yo. I mean, he's up and down and up and down. Remind you of anybody else? I'll tell you, that reminds me of me. Uh, I, I feel like that's how my life is. Great blessings, 
and major mistakes, most of which I bring on myself. And then the last thing I've got is that he traveled after Christ died and was resurrected and then ascended. Peter committed his life to traveling and preaching and trying to be a help to the churches and the people located in Asia Minor, which, as I said earlier, was Greece and Turkey. If you look on a map today, you can look at Greece and Turkey. That's the area. He was around to Jerusalem. He was to Rome. But that area right there, was that was kind of his area. And, he, and the book of Acts talks about lots of miracles that he was involved in. So that's Peter. So that's who we're talking about. A lot of those people that were saved on the day of Pentecost are spread throughout Asia Minor. And that is who Peter is writing this book to when he sits down to write those Christians that are in that area. And he lists about seven, five or six places here. So Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses here just to, so you can see how I know who he's talking to. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Brithnia. Okay, so there's five or six places, but all of those are in Asia Minor. Uh, down to verse 3 here. I want to read just a few of these and then we'll move on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Now that doesn't mean that we're saved multiple times. It means we were his, we were lost, and now we're begotten again one time. All right. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I love these these next few verses to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you he's he's telling i mean he's talking to the saved people and he's saying we got something beyond this that's perfect it's undefiled and it's laid away and nothing's going to get it man it makes me excited when i read that who are kept by the power of god through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now listen to this. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. He's writing to the church, and he's telling them, I'm writing to you, and I know you are having a hard time. We've got this great thing coming, but I know you're struggling. Right? Why are they struggling? Well, this is all part of the Roman Empire. Okay, we've all probably studied that in high school, at least remembered a little. But Rome basically controlled from England all the way over to almost China at this point. I mean, one out of four people that were alive on the earth during this time were under Roman rule. All right, so it's a big, powerful government entity. And while Rome put up with Christians for a little while and didn't immediately persecute all of them. The longer this went on and the more that Christianity grew and the more impact it had, the Roman government started turning a, a dark eye towards Christians. And they were, they were certainly persecuted. They were, a lot of them were put in jail. A lot of them were killed, some by the Roman government, and sometimes when they were being killed, it wasn't by the Roman government, but the government just kind of looked the other way and didn't do anything about it. So it's a bad spot, all right? 
the, the folks in Rome believed in multiple gods, okay? And they believed in pretty much living, well, just look around the way things are right now. That's kind of how it was in Rome. Whatever you wanted to do and whatever you wanted to say and, the, you know, today you hear something that shocks you and tomorrow somebody says something more outrageous than that to try to shock you again. That was kind of what was going on in Rome, all right? I mean, it was a sinful society, just put it that way. And so Christians were being persecuted all across this area, and Peter knows it, and he's traveling around, and he was persecuted. But um, we know from history that Peter died in about 66 A.D. Uh, it, was a, it was probably the same year or within a year of the time that Paul died. Uh, they were both executed in Rome. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down according to history. Now, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere, but history has several accounts that that's what happened. But that's probably accurate, so I'll just put it that way. All right. Uh, and so, but before, so sometime in about 62 to 63 A.D., Peter writes this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And so let's move on over to chapter 2, and we'll... We'll see what he has to tell them. So in chapter 1, he's kind of telling them who it is he's writing to. Kind of, a, I guess you would say, an introduction. Or if you were writing a letter, it would be the hello paragraph. You know, hey, how's it going? You know, it's Blaine. I haven't talked to you for a while. Hope all's going well. And explain maybe why I'm writing. So that's what Peter does in chapter 1. But chapter 2, all right. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings so let's talk about these these words and why does does peter start right off with this i will tell you that the focus again as some of the the recent lessons that we've had is unity peter is writing to this group and he's encouraging them to stop doing the things that are causing separation between them and the other Christians and their church and their community and encouraging them to be unified and to support each other because if Satan can divide the church and get it split like right down the middle this way or some fractures this way or he can do it diagonally, whatever angle that he can get in, if he can do that, and get this side to saying that this side ain't doing something right or is doing something wrong and talking about each other and get us divided, then the amount of power that we have as a church to shine the light for Jesus goes from wherever it's at here, it goes down significantly. Okay, So unity is, a, is what where, where Peter's starting here. So wherefore laying aside all malice, so the definition for malice is desire to do evil. All right. So let's lay that aside. There's nobody that comes to church here regularly that has desire to do evil, right? Well, I think there probably is. Really? Well, yeah. There was back here. Peter's writing it to him. If there wasn't a need for this, he wouldn't have written it to him. 
Well, what are you talking about a desire to do evil? Well, just because everybody's saved, does that mean we're all in the right place and all have the right frame of heart and the right goals and objectives all the time? Well, I got to tell you, I'm saved. I've been saved for going on 50 years. In August or September, it'll be 50 years. And man, I'm not in the right place all the time. I'm not in the right place every day. I'm not in the right place. There's chunks of the day I might not be in the right place. All right? I'm talking about what's, what's my goal? What am I trying to achieve? I mean, there's times I sit right over here. The church has a great service. I'm thinking about something I need to be doing at work or some, you know, what's going on with some of my clients or what's going on with my health. Boy, I don't feel too good today. All right? So I hope that I'm not in a spot where that I'm conspiring in my mind evil against somebody and especially somebody here in the church. But there's probably been some times that I've been there. All right? I'll tell on myself. That's all right. You guys can all laugh. I know everybody chuckling has probably been in the same place too. So Neil got you. <laughs> so... If we've got desire to do evil, we need to set that aside. All right? That's not the love of, of God. God wants us to love each other. He wants us to look out for our brother the same and want the same for them as they do as we do for ourselves. I want my brothers to do good. I really do. I know Jay and Cindy just got a new house. And I'll tickle to death about that. I'm happy for them. That's fantastic. You know. I'm thrilled for them. I want everybody to do well. Now, I want to do well, too. I do. I mean, I, I desire to do well, but I want them to do, I want everybody to do well. Well, what if I'm not doing well? What if I'm having problems and somebody else? Should we be, should we be green? Well, one of the other words down here is envy. Peter says, lay aside envy. That's longing for someone else's possessions, lusting after what they've got. We shouldn't be that way. God's got a reason for us to be where we're at today. And he's got a reason for our brothers and sisters to be where they're at today. We should be content with where we are and we should be happy for them where they are. And if they need help, we ought to help them. And if we need help, they ought to help us. Guile. So malice is, is desire to do evil. Guile. Cunning intelligence. Right? And that's kind of that conspiring Put, you know, thinking about how can I out, outdo that guy? Can I get the best of him some way? All right. Hypocrisy. All right. Who all knows what a hypocrite is? Right. I mean, everybody's used that term. I bet everybody in this church at one in this building right now at some point has said, well, that person is a hypocrite. You know, the difficulty with hypocrite is I really think that the, the true meaning of it is over time, or that's their approach to life, all right? Because being a hypocrite is claiming to be one thing, but acting in another way, all right? So let's think about Peter for a minute. We went through that list of things. Peter's ready to, he cuts the soldier's ear off, come to take Jesus. And it didn't, 24 hours later, he's denying him three times before the cock crows. Is that a hypocrite? I wouldn't classify Peter as a hypocrite. That's just me. 
You may, and that's okay. But the re why wouldn't you, Blaine? Well, the reason I wouldn't is that's not his pattern over time. To me, a hypocrite is somebody that sets their pattern over time. But you've got to be careful because if you come to church and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, and inviting everybody to church, and then you get out and get a DUI on Friday night and it makes the newspaper, guess what everybody that you've been asking to church is going to say and think about you? Well, that Blaine, he's a hypocrite. I saw he got a DUI. That was the only time I ever went out and had a drink of alcohol in my life. People are still going to go, that guy's a hypocrite. He's not what he's been claiming to be. So you can ruin your influence real fast. I really think what Peter's writing here is over time. That should not be our approach to life. We shouldn't come here, sit on the front bench every week, sing, oh, how I love Jesus and then go sin through the week and then come back next Sunday and do the same thing without some form of repentance. I mess up every week. I've got to repent every week. I hope that I'm not a hypocrite. I'm certainly trying not to be one. Okay, so I hope you understand that, what the difference there. Um, envies, longing for someone else's possession, and evil speaking, which is also, uh, evil speaking here is the same term as backbiting. So it's gossiping, backbiting. Basically, when something comes up about one of your brothers or sisters, instead of going, well, hold on a minute, that may not really be the way that it is, we just jump right on there and go, yep, you're right. I knew that all the time. They weren't what they were supposed to be. Okay? I mean, everybody understands the difference there. We ought to have our brothers and sisters' backs. We, we ought to give them the benefit of the doubt. All right. Now, after they've had the benefit of the doubt ten times, it gets harder to give them the benefit of the doubt. But we ought to be getting, you know, if somebody messes up, we ought to go, eh, that might not be right. Let's wait till we hear more about that before we jump on that train. Okay, makes sense. Anybody have any comments or questions here? Okay, verse 2. As newborn babes... Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now, something really beautiful about this is the word guile, which is cunning intelligence, and the, the phrase uh, here, sincere milk of the word, are literally the same word but opposite of each other. So Peter's telling them, let's put aside guile and let's seek the sincere word of the milk. All right? Let's try to follow God. It'd be like typical and atypical, if you, if you understand that, uh, the way it's used in the English language. It would be the same word, but essentially they've put A in front of it and they've made it exactly the opposite. So he's telling them here, let's put away guile and, and let's, you know, let's be like newborn babes in Christ and let's seek after the milk. And it's so important here that you may grow. I mean, he's talking spiritually, obviously, and using a physical representation of that. So a baby drinks milk, uh, but when they're, you know, they get to a certain age, maybe a year old, I guess that's about the right time, you start giving them a little cereal, some soft food to eat, some baby food, some things. And they still drink some milk, but you start transitioning them. And, you know, when they get to be a certain age, all of a sudden they're eating chicken nuggets and McDonald's French fries, Padroni's pizza, or breadsticks anyway. Right? Uh, but eventually 
you want them to grow and be eating meat. Now that doesn't mean that they don't still get a good cup of ice cold milk and drink with that. But they should be progressing. Same in our Christian life. If we start off drinking milk, that's fine. That's good. That'll help us grow, but we should grow. When we're 10 years old, we shouldn't still just be drinking milk and nothing else. We should be eating some solid food. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So what that's saying is, since you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, you've been, because you're saved, is what he's, is a transition here, but you could interpret this as him saying, because you've been saved, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. So see, he's telling them here. It's a representation. You're, now he's moved over to talking about a house, but he's saying Christ was rejected as the cornerstone by men, but he is the chief cornerstone. And holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now there's several places in the Bible where it talks about cornerstone, the chief cornerstone over in Ephesus uh, in 2 and 19 and 20, Ephesus 2nd chapter. I'm not going to go there and read that one, but there's a great verse there about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Um, there's lots of different places where that's discussed. And the world rejects Christ as the chief cornerstone. But when we Accept the gospel, Christ and him crucified and resurrection. Our foundation is built on him and what he did. Uh, you know, the, the apostles and the early church are certainly part of that foundation. They helped pave the way, and we can bring that right down to, I hear dad talk about the preachers that helped him when he was getting started preaching and preached salvation to him, you know, Siegel, Elbert and Jarvie and uh, Brother Ash and, and a bunch of other ones that were that helped him. They laid that foundation. They were part of that. They did their part, and they weren't perfect. They were men, but they were doing their part and, and trying to, you know, pass that down as best they could. And that's our obligation. We should be doing the same thing, you know. Uh, whether they ever say our name or not to me is irrelevant. But them little ones that are out there in Sunday school right now. Some of them down the road should be saying, you know, them folks that was here before us, they did their part. And they handed it down to us, and it was in good, you know, good shape. And we ought to do our part to hand it on down and try to keep it where it's at now. So that's what he's telling them here. He's, he's saying, you know, let's, let's be together. Be part of the spiritual building of God uh, and, and do your part. Does anybody have any comments?
ability to crawl and walk and then ride a bike and drive a car get on an airplane we we develop those as we mature same thing spiritually we've got the ability to move away from Christ very quickly get on an airplane and head the wrong direction boy you can get a long way in a hurry um, but there's a way back uh, but you know in Paul's writing he tells us put on the whole armor of God and when you look at that list of things there is a process now that's not the soul soul saved but to protect this man and our influence and do what the real purpose of God is after we're saved and that's lead somebody else to Christ we've got to be taking those steps and there is no graduation until you know you're here in a box I mean, it's a process all the way to the end. So, Verse 6. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, let's see here. I think that is in Isaiah 28 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall, shall not make haste. So that chief cornerstone is Christ. Right? He's our foundation. No matter what we do and how good we do it, how good we think we do it if we don't start there and build on that then we're really not accomplishing anything we can do some good things in life without Christ really well yeah I think you can you can help people you can go donate your time and, and you know go to areas where they've had earthquakes like they just had over in Turkey you destroyed a lot of people I think there's probably some people that are not saved people that are over there helping dig out and rebuild and donating money and taking food or sending those things. That's that's a good effort to try to relieve the you know those folks that are having a difficult time. But it really starts with Christ and if you start there then you can really accomplish something. And we should be doing those things, but we've got to start with Christ unto you therefore which believe he is precious what are and that takes me back to where we were at maybe a month ago over in Corinthians uh, where Paul was writing and he was telling them you know uh, Christ and him crucified is a stumbling block some people just won't accept that if you'll accept it, it's precious. It's the power of God unto salvation. And if you don't, it's a stumbling block. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23 where it talks about, you know, uh, the Jews seek a sign 
Greeks seek wisdom. Remember, we, we had that lesson just not a month ago. But Christ and him crucified, is the, the Jews don't see that as the right sign. He, that is the right sign, but they, don't, they won't accept it. And the Greeks, they were trying to figure it out in here. Intellectually, that was so simple, a child could understand it. That can't be the right way, but it is the right way. Does anybody have any comments? Verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. So he's telling them, and these are people that are, you know, different nationalities throughout at least five different countries that we know about that he's, he's directing this to. Uh, not the same background, not the same religious background, but he's telling them, you're now a chosen people. You're God's people. You've been saved. You're peculiar. You're different from the world. So while that's difficult, and sometimes it's a hard thing to have hung on you, especially if you're off by yourself and six or eight guys you're working with or at school with or, you know, in the golf league with or wherever you're at, if they're all over here, you know, all going to have a beer, and they don't invite you because they know you don't drink beer and wouldn't go in that place if they did invite you because they've invited you before and you said, no, thank you. All right? That's hard. It's hard to stand alone sometimes. Not really standing alone, you've got Christ with you. But you understand what I mean. It's hard to be the only guy that doesn't get invited. I've been there. I'll, I'll probably be there this week or next week. I'll be there again. We all have. But we should rejoice in that because they see something different. When they lash out and try to attack you, it's not necessarily them trying to be mean. Have you ever thought that maybe what you're doing is causing them to feel condemned about what they're doing? Maybe that's exactly what God's wanting out of your life right now is for you to say, no, thank you, I don't, I don't drink, I, I'm not going to go. Thanks for inviting me, but I'm not going to go. And make them feel bad about it. Because maybe they're saved and ain't never, haven't told anybody for a long time, and they know they shouldn't be there too. Or maybe they're lost and going, why is that guy so different? Why is that lady so different? You know, Now, they may not even be registering all that. They may just know it makes them feel bad because you're not doing what they're doing and, and that makes them feel awkward well, if that's what you're doing good keep doing it and rejoice in it a little bit that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that's exactly what that's saying you're, you're really praising him by your actions okay words are easy Actions are more difficult, and consistent actions are even more difficult. All right. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not ob obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So, be unified, follow God, lean on Him. When you're persecuted, 
And you're going to be persecuted if you live for God in some form or fashion. It doesn't mean you're going to be arrested, but maybe you are. You know, doesn't mean you're going to be martyred, but maybe you will. Stand firm for God, because you're going to be a light to somebody. I think back about Stephen when he was being stoned. I truly believe that he said and did something that God used to really get at Paul, which at that time was Saul, but really get to his heart. And look what happened. Stephen never saw that. You may not see the effects of you living for God. Stephen